Ascension Sunday is today, and Ascension, the 40th day after Easter, is marked, uh, or was marked, on, on Thursday. And we celebrated the um, ascending of Christ into heaven as he is with his disciples, and uh, we think about the significance of that. It's something we don't talk about a lot. There's not a, a huge... Um, season or anything like that. It's just noted that Jesus ascended into heaven. And so we're going to talk about that this morning. And you've already heard some scripture about that that comes from Acts. And then for uh, the, the prayer of Jesus, which is in John 17, he talks about the fact that he is getting ready to go. So we're going to look at those. Uh, this, uh, not this past week, but just recently, we were having trouble with our cable. And there's nothing uh, more distressing in the world, right, than having cable problems. It's a first world problem, isn't it? Uh, And we uh, tend to just not even know what to do. It's like this past week we lost uh, the U-verse for a little while. uh, And we just had to shut down, you know, and go home because, uh, no, we didn't do that. but it was hard to function without any kind of internet, and there was something going on that was uh, a good bit of the city, and people weren't able to, to access it. But when I have trouble with my cable, I, I call in and, and try to get help, and they, uh, this one guy was walking me through the different steps, and uh, was trying to figure it all out, and he said, do this with the remote, uh, you know, hold, hold four of the keys down, lift one leg... Uh, you know, all this, that should work, and I kept doing it, and nothing was working, and, um, you know, I said, there, there's really, uh, I mean, I've tried everything that you've said. What, what am I supposed to do now? And I just remember there was this silence on the phone <laughs> for a couple of minutes, and obviously he didn't know what to do. He had exhausted everything that he uh, could tell me uh, about the problem that I was having, and, uh, He just didn't know what to say. Well, as we hear from our our scripture this morning, Jesus had something to say to the disciples when they said, Lord, what do we do now? Easter is over. Well, they didn't say Easter is over, but they said, you're getting ready to leave. You, You keep talking about departing from us, and we have no idea what we're going to do. You've been our everything. You've been our teacher. You've been uh, our best friend. You've, you've been uh, the one who continues to forgive us and to lead us to God. You, you continue to bless our lives and you make a radical difference in our world. And then they get to the point of saying, uh, so by the way, when are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? Before you go. I mean, this is something you've talked about a lot. Before you go, when's this going to happen? And Jesus tells them, this is what you can do now. And as Jesus told the disciples that a long time ago, uh, those same words apply to us. And we've heard them here in the scripture. And the first thing he told them was to know your role in the kingdom of God. So they're asking, and if you look back here in Acts Uh, And if you want to see what Pentecost is all about, Pentecost is next Sunday, so don't forget to wear red. Uh, We will have uh, Pentecost Sunday, and I will not move the pews this year, but there probably will be something different in here as we uh, recognize the giving of the Holy Spirit. 
But if you look in, in Acts chapter 1, the verses that we, we just heard earlier, where Jesus, uh, where, where the Holy Spirit uh, comes on the disciples and uh, as they are together in, in one house and as they are trying to understand what's going on, what prefaces all of that in verse 6 of chapter 1. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is the time when you will restore the kingdom to Israel? When is this going to happen? And he replies, it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus says, look, it's not up to you. Y'all have always tried to control everything especially Peter and James and John. He says, it's not up to you to know all that stuff. All you need to know is that you're going to be my witnesses right here in Jerusalem. And and then some of you are going to go out the next uh, city. You're going to go to Judea or the next country. You're going to go to Samaria. Some of you, Jesus says, are going to go to the far ends of the earth. You're going to go and tell people about what you have seen and what you have heard and what you have experienced. And so they needed some help remembering. All they needed to do was, once they received this power, to go and to be witnesses. Jesus understood what his role was. And in John 17, as we heard um, just a second ago, Jesus is praying. It's It's a beautiful prayer. And sometimes we don't think about that, uh, that Jesus prayed. And we find one here that John records for us. And Jesus says, um, I I have done what you have given me to do. And I I have been devoted to your business in the world. And I have finished that work. And Jesus didn't stop until he had finished that work. And so Jesus fully understood what it meant to fulfill his role, his calling, his purpose in the world. And he wanted his disciples to understand that as well. I heard about a a mail carrier, a postal carrier. uh, Actually read about this in um, the uh, New New York Post. And it says that, and this reminds me of Newman. In uh, Seinfeld, if you are a Seinfeld fan, which everybody should be, um, the article says, everyone knows that a letter carrier has one job, deliver the mail, right? Seems simple enough. By the way, I was going in my neighborhood the other day, and as I turned right off of Ockley and was um, going around uh, towards my house, there was a, a postal truck. And a guy, you don't see too many uh, postal carriers dressed with a hat, you know, in the full uniform. And he was making out with, I I guess it was his wife or his girlfriend. (laughs) There's probably a story there. And if I had had time to get over to my phone and record it, it would have gone viral, I am sure. But they were, I mean, this, this, they were getting busy. And, and uh, I thought, wow, um, where's my mail, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I don't know what happened there. But anyway, one job, deliver the mail. Apparently, a Brooklyn mailman spent a decade avoiding his job by intentionally hoarding over 40,000 pieces of mail over a 10-year period. 
In September 2014, Joseph Brucato admitted hiding um, over a ton of mail. That's 2,500 pounds, to be exact. Uh, that was meant for customers in Flatbush, New York, according to a Brooklyn federal court complaint. And a postal supervisor became suspicious that Brucato was up to something weird when he noticed his personal car was stuffed with undelivered letters. Investigators pressed Brucato about the letter cachet, and he admitted hoarding priority, first class, and regular mail that had once been headed for Brooklyn businesses and residents in Flatbush. It took five postal agents five hours to remove the massive stash of purloined letters from his apartment. And it says if if convicted, Brucato faces up to five years in prison. He had one job, and he didn't do it. He was to deliver news and deliver letters and deliver checks or whatever else to people, and he didn't get it done. Sometimes I think, The church is the same way. As Jesus was forming the church and as the Spirit would come and inaugurate the church's work, Jesus said, one thing you need to do is remember your job. Remember your role in the kingdom of God. Don't get uh, distracted by all the other things or don't get lazy and just store up all of this stuff for yourself. Get out and do your job. And as a church, we must hear that message today because we are still needed to be witnesses of Jesus Christ. We are to tell people about the things that Jesus did with his life, the way that he loved people, the way that he included people, the way that he forgave people, the way that he died upon a cross. We are to tell people about the radical difference that Jesus has made in our lives. And I don't think you would be here on a very stormy morning like this morning if Jesus had not made some difference in your life. And we're to tell people. But it's not just about being someone who goes and knocks on doors and passes out uh, pamphlets to, uh, to be able to tell people about our church or our religion. It is about living as a witness for Christ. And that's where we're going to make the best impact, is when we go out into our community, our Jerusalem, our Judea, our Samaria, so that we can live out the words and the teachings of Christ. And as we finish up our Easter season today, this seventh Sunday of Easter, we are to go and say, He is risen. He is risen indeed. Thank you. You caught me off guard. He is risen indeed. That's the way it's supposed to work. And we are to do that with the people around us. But they ought to see it, right? They ought to look at our lives and go, something in that person is alive. You know what it's like to be around people that are alive, right? Or let me say, you probably know what it's like to be around people who are dead, who have no sense of life, no sense of purpose, Uh, There's nothing there, just kind of taking up space. And we've all been people like that. But Jesus has come that we might have life and have it to the full. It's not just about where we go when we die. It is more about what we do with that life right here in this world and the difference that we can make. So we are to go 
and keep going and keep going until we finish the work God has given us to do. God will call you home when God is done with you, right? When it's time to go, God will call you to another assignment. But we must finish what we're to do here and now. The second thing Jesus gives them to do is to anticipate the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, uh, all these things you don't really need to, to worry about. Like when the kingdom is going to come. And again, remember, when they are talking about kingdom, they're talking about a political kingdom. These are people who have lived under the, the heel of the Roman government. A very dictatorial, oppressive government. And it was becoming more and more this way towards them after the resurrection of Christ and as they continued to live out their faith. And what Jesus had been saying to them was, God's kingdom, this kingdom of heaven that we prayed about this morning, remember? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This heavenly kingdom has come into the world, Jesus is saying. And it's not a a physical, per se, or a... um, political, and it's not even bound by geography. It is a kingdom where God works in people's hearts and in their lives and brings about love and peace, reconciliation between people and God. And Jesus wanted them to know, you you don't need to worry about the details because you've got it all wrong. It's not going to be this overthrow of government It's going to be heaven coming into the world, and it's going to happen through you. And so he says, uh, all of these things don't worry about, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. You're going to have the power that you need, so anticipate that that is going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come. I remember a a chaperone or a parent, uh, when I was younger, we had... um, we would have our big dances at uh, a, a larger venue place in, in, in there in Tyler. But we'd have our sock hops in the gym at, a, at our high school. And uh, I remember uh, this, this lady would always come up, and it never happened to me because um, as a Baptist, uh, I, I never knew how to dance very well. Even though I, I was in a church where it wasn't frowned on at all, I just had have no rhythm but there were people who were dancing like really close to one another, right? You know, like holding on to each other. And um, You've heard about that? Okay. And this lady would always say, and everybody would laugh, she said, leave room for the Holy Spirit in between you, right? Leave enough room for the Holy Spirit, which was a lot of room. Nobody wanted to do that. As a church, Jesus says, leave room for the Holy Spirit. Anticipate the Spirit's power in your life, in your church, in the things that that you are doing. It means leaving room and anticipating that the Holy Spirit should have a role in your plans, the plans in your life, not just for a church, but in your life as an individual. Anticipate what the Holy Spirit can, can do. Sometimes we say, well, I could never do that. I could never be that person, or I could never do that job, 
or I could never love that person, or I could never forgive that person, or I'll never be what God has called me to be because I've done all this stuff and it just sets me back. But that is completely counter to what Jesus was saying when he talked about the power of the Holy Spirit. Because God can do anything. And God can change a life. God can empower a weakness. God can heal a problem or a disease or an addiction, whatever the case may be. And we ought to anticipate that. We ought to do that as a church as we make plans, as we look at the calendar, as, as we look at our community, and as we think about things that God would have us to do. We're a, a small church, and God has been able to do some great and remarkable things in our seven years Uh, as a church. And we must continue to anticipate the Holy Spirit and the power we get. But Jesus also talked about, uh, or the the, uh, Luke talks about in, in Acts, as he gives this account of how they were devoting themselves to prayer. If you look back in Acts chapter 1, it says that they went up into to an upper room. Uh, We don't know if it was the same one or not. It says, as as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven. So they're just looking up. And you can get that idea here in this sketch. Uh, You can see they're just looking up. Some of them are wondering, what is this all about? What just happened? And even more so. And, And by the way, there's a female there. And we see, we begin to see here, uh, understanding that they were there all along. But we start to to hear more about the women, uh, Mary and others who were gathered there in that early church, who were the first witnesses of the resurrection. And I think it's significant uh, that there there is one here in this drawing as well. But it says that they uh, were gazing up to heaven, uh, wondering what to do, and these angels tell them, uh, why do you stand here looking up? Get busy, right? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem. When they entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. And Peter and James and John and Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, uh, James, Simon, Judas, uh, all these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. They went to pray. They understood Jesus left them, had vanished from their sight, that they would get this counselor, this Holy Spirit that would be coming into their lives as a church. But right now they were going to keep that line of communication open. They were going to stay connected in the only way they knew how, and that was prayer. As a church, we recognize that what we are to to do is to devote ourselves to prayer. I heard about a, a CEO that was uh, working for a, uh, a company, and this is uh, a recent story that, that comes from uh, a CNBC report from Marguerite Ward. And she says, Sheldon Yellen manages a $1.5 billion company that operates in 31 countries, employs 7,000 people. He does all of this without a smartphone. The CEO of Belfour, a privately held property restoration company, 
He only uses a flip phone. And by the way, those have kind of come back in, into popularity. Anybody have a flip phone? Okay. Um, and uh, having a flip phone encourages phone conversations, the CEO said, which he strongly prefers to texting. If someone has something to say to me, they know they can pick up the phone. You know, phone calls, like where you push the numbers in and then somebody answers on the other end. I'll answer their question, he said. I am approachable, and I can't convey that through a text. A young kid was trying to get a meeting with me and to sell me a product, he says. Finally, after three months, he got his appointment. He's sitting across from me, and three times during the first ten minutes, this kid looks down at his smartphone and starts texting. Yellen told the, man, the young man, I'm not trying to be rude or arrogant, but I think you're going to have to go. I'm not asking you to get down and bow, but you just spent so much of my time texting someone when you're sitting right here with me. you got to go, and one day you're going to thank me. And it says that smartphones are not allowed at Belfour Company meetings. There's an unspoken rule that no one brings in their phone. My thinking is, he says, let's have our meeting. Let's get on with it. In a lot of situations, we have a basket in the room or outside the room for cell phones. And he adds, I want people to talk to me. I want them to hear my passion. It's all about communication. It's about connecting, not only with our work and with our job, but connecting with people. And this is what what is happening with the early church. They are connecting with God in in a way that God wants to connect with them, in a very personal kind of way, a way where we can hear God's passion, in a way we can communicate to God our needs, our love, our passion in this world. And we need to do that more as individuals. For some of you, the minute or two of silence we have in silent prayer is um, a time of anxiety, I would think. Uh, If you are used to having your phone on, your TV on, uh, everything on that beeps at you and alerts you to different things, then silence can be very scary for you. And prayer could be something very unnatural for you. And we all get to that point in our lives when we recognize we are not communicating with God. We're not hearing God and and we think God's not hearing us. And so we need to be sure we're tethered in communication to God. There's a quote there in your bulletin that is from uh, Henry Nouwen. And he says, prayer is the most concrete way to make our home in God. I wonder this morning, are you feeling at home? In God, Jesus says, this is what you're to do. And I hope as you go into this week that you won't wonder and you won't look up at the sky thinking, when is Jesus coming back or where did he go or what's happening in our world? That in a world that is full of terror and challenges and problems and opportunities and all the things that that we experience in life, that we would understand what it is that we are to do. Let us pray.